Welcome to the Vibrant MD Podcast, where we discuss weight loss, women's health, and food. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Awad, a family doctor and certified weight loss coach. This podcast is informational, but is not meant as medical advice. Anything you want to change after listening should be discussed with your own doctor and personal medical team. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Hello, my vibrant friend. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm here with a guest. I'm thrilled to have Bonnie Weisner here. She is a registered holistic nutritionist and digestive health expert in Toronto, Canada. And gut health definitely impacts us in midlife on how we feel. It impacts us with weight loss. Uh, so I thought her perspective would be really interesting. So thanks for being here today, Bonnie. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. What else do we, does the audience need to know about you and your practice? Well, you mentioned that I'm physically located in Toronto, Canada, but I do work virtually. So I do help people, all, you know, since, since the world changed all over the world, which has been really interesting, mostly, but I'm a registered holistic nutritionist. So I do see clients for some other issues, but my practice over the years has become really niched to specializing in helping people who are struggling with irritable bowel syndrome slash chronic digestive concerns like constipation or, you know, gas, bloating, diarrhea, the whole cornucopia of it. And I love what I do. This is a second career for me, which I also think is interesting because in a way you've also morphed into a second career. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably doing that too. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, for sure. Midlife is a, a fun time to try something new. Absolutely. Ironically, my previous career, I had a little bit of a pause when I was a stay-at-home mom for a while, but my previous career actually had me working in traditional advertising and marketing. And my clients were places like McDonald's restaurants. And <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Wow. Real shift there. Yeah. Real shift. <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's dive in. You know, one of the things, of course, when we think about gut health, we start thinking about food, but you like to say this, everything but the food. So tell tell our audience a little bit about that. I know it's a little cryptic, isn't it? I guess when we think of it like that. So the reason is because obviously as a nutritionist, I really believe food is medicinal. Like I think prevention is the cure. Food is part of the preventative aspect of, you know, good health, but when it comes to this particular area, people who are really struggling long-term with irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, it's a functional disorder, right? And the foods themselves, we can have a long conversation about the quality of foods you eat or don't, right? Overall, my, my philosophy with food is balance. So I'm not like anti this or anti that or, you know, you know, a raw food or anything. But the reason I coined that term for, for my practice, everything but the food, is because unfortunately, people who struggle with that, it's natural for us. And, and I have a history of Crohn's disease, by the way. So I was very much in that position 30 years ago where I was like literally knocking myself out, trying to figure out what I was eating or could eat that wouldn't send me into a flare or, you know, immense pain doubled over that kind of thing. So I relate to it and I'm compassionate towards it. Unfortunately, in my experience as a practitioner, I've discovered that it's not the answer. I would say most people who have these issues 
either on their own or sometimes under the advice of, you know, their physician or a dietitian or whatever, are trying really hard to figure out what foods they should eliminate next. And ultimately, this leads us down the path to numerous other problems, first of all, everything from nutrient deficiencies, literally, to worsening of symptoms even. And it's just, it's a frustrating and sad kind of place to be because one day you can have quinoa and everything seems rosy in the world. And then 10 days later, you have quinoa and you know, you're doubled over in pain. So in my opinion, there's an opportunity to use food in the healing process for this, but it's more about the enhancement and eating foods that we actually know for a fact are good for the, you know, for creating a really rich microbiotic balance in your gut and things like that versus just eliminating this because we think we're reacting to them. And of course, the caveat here is if you have an allergy or if you've discovered that you really do have an intolerance, then by all means, you know, I'm not saying there's no no place for it. But like I said, just based on my experience with clients, what it boils down to for me is I've never once helped someone resolve their issue by purely and only looking at the food piece. Okay. So by eliminating things, but right. you, but you feel that adding certain things are, are helpful to make our, our gut feel better? Yeah. There's many studies that, I forget the name, there's one large study, might have been the nurse's study, actually. I can't remember if it was or not, but there's, there's several studies now that actually affirm the idea that the two things that are the best for our gut, and it all boils down to, again, you know, how we influence the, our microbiome. So the bacteria yeah. in our gut is high fiber. So increase of fiber and variety. And actually, I would go to, so far to say that one of these studies was actually so specific that it suggested that in, in um, patients that had 30 or more plant, different plant varieties in a week, their outcomes were actually better. Like literally they measured the outcome based on like the richness, the diversity of bacteria in someone's gut after the period of time of this study, which I think was three months. I can't recall exactly, but that's fascinating, right? And then there was also, you know, in terms of food and richness, so there's variety, fiber and variety. So the variety of fiber mm-hmm. uh, and variety of food in general, I would say, right? So not always eating the same thing, like eating different types of foods. Fermented foods were also just like in a separate study, I think it was through Stanford. There was a a really good study that actually also addressed sort of the fermented food category and the influence it had on inflammatory markers and richness of bacteria, that kind of thing. And then the other category of foods would be probiotic foods. And again, this is all clearly because of the influence that these types of foods have on the diversity of bacteria in our gut, which is really important. And so that actually makes us feel better as well, right? It helps our digestive system process better. Okay, great. As I think, I mean, I, you know, we don't, it's, it's not important to get into here, but I think we know more and more we're learning that the diversity of bacteria in our gut actually influences so many different like it, there's so many tentacles to different systems of our body and function, but specifically in this case, yeah, it helps our digestive process. It optimizes things basically. Yeah. Yeah, Cause we know now about the brain gut connection. Yes. We know that our skin is detoxed through our gut as well as things like sweating. So it, like you said, it affects 
all the things. <laughs> yeah. So but the other thing with it is, so that's the technical part, folks, right? You want to make sure to have a lot of variety because it actually has been proven to be better for you and actually will help you feel better in the long run. But in saying that, there might be people listening saying, oh my gosh, but if I eat too much of the type of food you're talking to me about, I'm literally going to be, you know, in a corner somewhere in my house because like I'll be in so much discomfort. So there is something to be said for going slowly, Right. But the reason I, to answer your original question, the reason that I delved into everything but the food is because, as I said, the food is only one piece of the puzzle. And in my view, I would regard it more as an enhancement approach, mm -hmm. as an elimination approach. And I know that's hard to hear because everybody, it's natural that I was in that place. Like when I was struggling, it's an immediate response. So I completely understand but the everything but the food piece speaks to the idea that we can influence, we can intervene in this area with other practices. So we know that stress, which I think we're going to have a good conversation about, has a tremendous impact on digestive function, right? So we right. Can talk about that, how we eat, so meaning the timing of when we're eating our food. So, you know, in my view, even though, like, let's say something like intermittent fasting, could be helpful for one person. For someone with IBS, it's really a question mark and it would be by individual because doing it might actually be more harmful than good. Mm. And also how you eat. So routine, whatever it is that works for you, I think our body thrives on routine. So meals spaced out, eating in a calm environment, not, you know, doing what all our kids do, which is like, you know, on the phone. Just scroll the phone, yeah. Every meal. And that, again, some of it connects back to that stress response, right? Because our body has to be in rest and digest mode to actually at least have an opportunity to do things well from a digestive perspective. There's good studies for people with IBS on movement and the type of movement that may or may not be good for somebody. So again, some of that ties back to, again, our body's stress response, like exercise is so great. But if you're someone who is struggling with digestive issues and your main go-to, you're a marathon runner, or you are somebody who's doing high-intensity interval training and mm -hmm. you have like five days a week, that might not be the best for you. It might, but it might not. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, like I said, timing daily routines are really important. So making sure to stay hydrated goes without you know, without question, but a lot of us don't. You and I were talking about the weather before we hopped on here. A lot of people yeah. in the wintertime don't drink as much, you know, that sort of thing. Staying hydrated is really a, a number one, like a primary primary, because it's great for absorption. And of course it helps with motility. Sleep, like something else that very often we don't delve into when it comes to trying to figure out our digestive piece. But we know that sleep has an impact on digestion and digestion actually has an impact on sleep. So if you're somebody who's struggling with sleep, it's a chicken and egg, but trying to address sleep is a good way, is something important to do as well. So let's let's hit a couple of these here. So fermented foods it decrease inflammation. How how can someone who's not eating fermented foods on a regular basis introduce this in a safe way? <laughs> good, good, good question. So obviously the first thing to do with food is to lean into what you do prefer from a taste perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. there's so many choices there, but 
something as simple as even soy sauce has some toast, like some, some soy in it, which could be fermented. It's a little bit, but sourdough bread, if you're into bad and bread. And if you could, a lot of people actually who are sensitive to wheat, maybe not like technically measured, tested sensitive, but feel like they have a sensitivity to wheat, do better with a sourdough bread. There's kombucha. Um, my favorite, I mean, there's also tempeh and tofu and, you know, even apple cider vinegar, using that for a salad dressing. So there's little ways you have to find of the things that I just mentioned, or even Google other fermented foods and always start with what you like, obviously. Yeah. There's nothing worse than somebody telling you, yeah, this is good for you. And, and, you know, like it's sort of going to go in one ear and out the other, like all of us, because it's not the time to start eating foods we necessarily really don't like. But yeah, those are, that's a small list, but one of the things that I love telling people to do, and I know if you're listening, this is either going to be like never, ever, ever, or oh, <laughs> and I could do that every single day, but one tablespoon of sauerkraut apparently has something like 20,000 different strains of bacteria. So that's like a really good probiotic and fermented choice. Nice. I love that you mentioned many things that probably people don't even know are fermented, like their apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. And also that small amounts can still be really powerful. Yes. Uh, so you don't have to overdo it on it. If you like sauerkraut, you know, you can put this at the table and have a, a really small scoop every day. Yeah. Um, we found out that one of our kids loves kimchi. So we now we sometimes just put that out and she's a great choice. And, yeah, yeah, my daughter loves yeah. that too. It's so spicy. I like it. But, yeah. but you know, what you just said is a, is a good point. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's just consist- consistency is the other thing, right? So, you know, we, we wrap our head around. That's such a good point, Heather, because you know how it is. I'm sure it's like this in the weight loss world too. We wrap our head around one thing and we become hyper-focused on it, right? And yeah. the reality is that any approach to health for any of these categories is very likely multi-layered. So like yeah. just putting little bits of these things that you, like I said, you start with what you like and you make small changes. They really, really do make a big difference. Now, Uh, Let's talk a little bit about fiber. So I remember being a teenager and reading something about how vegetables are good for you and having not being someone who wasn't eating very many. I went in and I ate like five serving of vegetables the next day and I had a terrible stomach ache. And so how do we, if we want to introduce more fiber, you know, where do we start? If you're thinking, I just don't eat that much fiber, where would you start? Yeah. And what's the goal? So the goal throughout North America, I believe it's the same in Canada and the States, it's suggested that we eat 25 to 35 grams of fiber in a day. Now, what's interesting about that is we're, I mean, in my case, like when I'm doing intakes for clients, I am Mm -hmm. noticing, and again, most of these people might be avoiding this for the reasons we talked about at the the top of the show, but generally speaking, I think people are having under 20 grams of fiber a day, right? you probably see that as well. And so that's a place to start. So like we said, with the fermented foods, I I think starting with things you like is the Mm -hmm. first thing. The second thing though, is when it comes to people who are really struggling with this digestive piece or probably anybody go slowly. So don't go from having, you know, 15 grams of fiber to having 35 grams of fiber overnight. 
because, and again, that is something that, you know, some people, people might do, right? It's, it's really a personality cool. thing, but that could really create problems as well. Yeah. So our body has to acclimatize and our body loves routine, right? So just, it has to acclimatize. So even literally approaching it by adding three grams of fiber a day, let's say with like making sure to drink water as well, because, you know, you don't want to get backed up over this or get loose over this. Um, so what just, would be three grams of fiber? This in the example of a oh food, gosh, almost anything, seriously, like two pieces of bread could be three grams of fiber. If you're looking at the bread category, I wanted apple. to look at fruits and vegetables. Where would you, how would you put an, that? Apple. an apple? An apple. Great. Okay. A kiwi. But if you're looking for choices where you want to have like a, a lot of bang for your buck yeah. in the fruit category, I love raspberries because raspberries are like a lot of fiber and like a half a cup of that raspberries I think has seven or eight grams of fiber something along that line which isn't a huge amount and again you want to in the fruit and vegetable category in both of those categories you want to still be mindful of the glycemic index like trying to choose things that I mean they go hand in hand right the lower glycemic choices tend to have more fiber that's what makes them lower glycemic I believe Again, I would go by just personal preference, right? So in the fruits category, maybe apples, kiwis, pears, peaches, plums, those types. You might suggest that someone, if they're not having any fruits or vegetables with their lunch, could add like one vegetable that they like. Would that be a good place to start? Or It's the best place to start because that's the whole point. What you said earlier makes so much sense. It's little bits at a time that are going to get you to where you want to go. Because if you're someone who is rarely eating these things, particularly if you're someone who feels the way I described at the beginning, where it, you know you're fear- food fearful at this point because you're having so many digestive issues, then you might be afraid. So know that it's not a waste of time because I think that's how our mind works too. To just do what you suggested, which is to go slowly and a little by little and just slowly but surely. And actually, it's funny that this just came up because um, I had a conversation with a client yesterday about this. It's best to approach this as a long game, right? So nothing in this world is going to change dramatically in two weeks, not likely. Um, I wish it would, of course, but it likely isn't. And I think what happens is particularly in the food elimination, food addition category of this conversation is that we're doing things we are either at this point fearful of, or we would rather have a cookie. Like we're not so keen to have a half a cup of raspberries after all, right? So when we do it, or we engage in this, you know, improvement, let's say, for just a few days, but things haven't changed. It's almost like an affirmation that what we thought we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't do it at all. It's a bit psychological and mindset bending as well, but that takes us to a whole other conversation, but really just slowly and surely. So like berries are great, you know, vegetables almost of any kind are good, but again, lean into the ones that you like. Legumes are terrific. If you can tolerate them easily, again, I would, with legumes, maybe go in smaller doses, same as cruciferous vegetables. One of my, to to wrap up the food conversation on this, I would say- One of my favorite expressions is the poison is the portion in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. The poison is the portion. Yeah. That's, that's so true. Yeah. Cause you can over, I mean, I love cruciferous vegetables and 
I I have overeaten them and been really sorry because it's yeah you know too much a lot yeah. of crampy stomach yeah. feels certainly yeah you know, certain even people so like for bloating for example which is a common symptom it's not normal to be bloated every single day but like you just said Heather if you you know lo- eat something like that you, that you love and you kind of eat a little bit more of it or a certain amount you could still end up bloating bloated right mm-hmm. once or twice a week right. or whatever, which is normal. So let's talk a little bit about the exercise piece. So someone is doing kind of the same thing, like a HIIT workout or running seven days a week, and they're coming to you because their gut does not feel good. What what kind of changes do you suggest for, for them? So again, observation and tracking is really important because this is like not a, a black and white scenario, this whole, this whole thing about exercise and movement. But there have been studies, like there was a study done in Ireland, I think it was like among one of their athletic teams, like the track and field team or something at one of the universities. And they found that exercise in general helped to the positive. So daily movement in general, whatever it was that you chose, helped to the positive in terms of influencing gut bacteria and like decreasing inflammation, right? So we know in general that exercise is good for us. But if you're somebody who has, let's say, diarrhea, right? Or even constipation, whatever whatever your symptom is, and you are wondering if you're doing the right type of exercise or movement, just understand that more intense exercise does tend to stimulate our nervous system and increase and spike cortisol levels. So for an individual, I would experiment with doing things that are like, less stimulating. So yoga, um, daily walks have been really helpful. In fact, daily walks on their own, like even just 10 minute walks after each meal, right? Getting up out of a chair at our desk and just walking around the office for like 10 minutes after each meal could be really helpful if you're someone who's struggling with some of the symptoms like, you know, bloating, daily bloating or that feeling of heaviness. These are sort of it sounds like common sense, right? But when it comes to IBS and the studies they've done, tracking your activity in in relation to your symptoms could be really insightful for you. I don't want to tell somebody who really enjoys exercising that high intensity intensity interval training is an absolute no cross it off your list because it may not be, but it may not be if the way you handle stress in the rest of your life is okay, right? That's why it varies by percent. You know, it's funny. I was I was reading a book recently, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. But it, Dr. Benjamin Hardy was talking about professional athletes, how they pay as much attention to the workout as they do to the recovery time yeah. and the active de-stress time, and those activities as well as how much time they're spending in the gym or lifting or you know doing their sport. Yeah, fascinating. Because as individuals, as humans, we just always look at things in these silos. But sometimes it's like a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit, right? And with the movement piece, something that I learned, there was a woman in Montreal. um, Her name is Brandy Safran. She's a yoga therapist who has a history of um, Crohn's disease as well, like I do. And she actually developed a yoga for digestive health program. And you you can even on YouTube find some yoga practitioners or therapists who are doing this, but there are specific stretching exercises that have been found to be relieving for symptoms of digestive, like indigestion, basically, or maldigestion. 
like bloating, and also might actually help with motility, right? Long-term. But when I get people, so this is part of my, my program is called the shift your gut therapy method. And as part of the program, somebody's daily protocol might end up having them doing these stretches in the morning when they wake up and also right before they go to bed. And people are actually finding they're moving forward with this, right? This becomes something that they walk away from the process incorporating into their day because it's been helpful. Oh, I love that. Because it actually reminds me of even people like they have low back problems. So they do their their special low back stretch morning and night. And so for gut, there could be special stretches morning Absolutely. and night. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. I would keep that one and the walking in terms of the movement piece, that and the walking after meals or just making sure to have whatever you can sort of squeeze into your day. A walk every day is a really great thing also. Nice. And I love that you talk about the 10-minute walk after lunch because, you know, I work with a lot of professional women. That's who's listening. And they're like, oh, I'm I'm at the computer. I'm eating. I'm doing this. And the funny thing is that that 10-minute walk makes you feel better. It actually lowers your blood glucose curve, so it makes it easier to lose weight. The productivity people will tell you that that 10-minute walk after lunch will actually make you more productive in the afternoon than slogging through at the computer and then keep you know going and without a break. Yeah, it makes total yeah. sense. I mean, we've become so sedentary as a separate, right? But but yeah, but with in terms of encouraging like good motility patterns, it's also great because even I mean, put it this way, even just sitting the way I am right now at the computer, we're literally physically sitting with our organs stacked on top of each other, right? So somebody who has no problem with digestion, big deal, not a big deal. But if you want to encourage or like really add extra support, if your system's already having an issue, it's great to get up and stretch and great to like actually expand. That reminds me of a way that I would describe the dysfunction in terms of why I say it's not specifically the food that's the problem, it's more the function. We know that IBS is a functional gut disorder, but what does that mean? Like most people are like, well, what does it actually mean? So an analogy that I like to use is an assembly line, because we know that digestion goes through a multi-step cascade, right? This has to happen in order for that to happen, et cetera. So when there's a bit of a problem or dysfunction, the analogy might be, let's say there's four guys in an assembly line in a factory, right? And the third, they all have their own jobs to do. And everything for the second guy to do his job, the first guy has to have first done his step. So one week, guy number three comes to work with a broken arm, right? And that's the problem. That is the problem for this individual, the broken arm. And guy number one has his anniversary or something, and he's trying to get out of work early that day. So he's rushing. So it doesn't help to be rushing if guy number three is already a little vulnerable. So that's really what the dysfunction could look like, right? There might be things that we don't even know where the problem exactly lies, but we know that we have to be very mindful of trying to encourage each step. So another way to do that is, I mentioned how we eat. So literally just chewing our food well, which again, if we're rushing, most of us are not doing, right? Mm-hmm. Helps right away with digestion because we know we have an enzyme in our saliva that right off the bat starts to break down carbohydrates, right? So literally just kind of being mindful of each of those steps could help the third guy, whatever the problem is, 
And it's sometimes even anatomical, like women have had hysterectomies and then ended up with digestive dysfunction or something that goes awry, right? And things move around and shift. So like even just supporting each step in a mindful way is helpful too. I love that. And I think especially at midlife, it's a great time to look at how you nourish yourself, how you take care of yourself, how you work out and recover and how you you know, look at how you're eating and when you want to make it better to do it slowly and carefully and, and, and mindfully. I love that about the mindful eating. Yeah. And if you're, if the audience is mostly professional women like us, then another thing I would want to address, because as we talk about all of these things, a busy person might be listening and thinking, oh God, it's just, it's too much. Like I can't, you know, just focus on one of them, like pick something that we're talking about today and just for a period of a month, if you're somebody who really is, you know, you've tried eliminating all the foods on your own, but you end up coming back to the same place. Your symptoms are unpredictable. You're now scheduling your social life and your work life around them. Like if you're in that kind of a place, it's a good idea to just pick one thing and focus on it, changing it for like a month or two and see what kind of an impact it could have. But the other thing that would be great to touch on for your audience would be to explain the connection between stress and digestion even further. Because when we're, digestion takes place in the parasympathetic part of our nervous system, which is really the rest and digest part. But unfortunately, our nervous system doesn't really distinguish between, God forbid, if you're going through a divorce or have a medical crisis, or if you're just sitting in traffic on a snowy day, you know, the stress <laughs> response is the same. And so it's it's really through your breathing pattern that your body tells itself whether it needs to be looking after your digestion or dealing with whatever the problem, perceived problem might be. If it goes into the that category, dealing with the stressor, then you go into sympathetic mode and digestion literally gets downregulated. So it's really important if you're somebody who is struggling with these symptoms, if you're bloated all the time, if you're dealing with constipation or diarrhea, even heartburn, to think about, again, what I said, your your breathing pattern is literally going to tell your body what it needs to do in that moment or for that period of time. So another tool that we use is diaphragmatic breathing. So like really taking the time to almost, and I use this for blood sugar clients as well, to literally just trick your body into thinking the world is lovely, all sunshine and roses here today, right? Because by your breathing pattern, it's going to tell your system, nope, I'm good to keep digesting. I don't want to stop that process because stopping the process is problematic, especially if we're already having issues with motility, like uh, in terms of timing, right? So eating slowly also helps with that. Taking, let's say, five to 10 deep breaths just before you sit down to a meal, if you're someone who is really struggling um, with some of the symptoms that I just mentioned, or you've been diagnosed with IBS, then that is very helpful. And even throughout your day, if you've got a hectic schedule, you're going from one thing to the next, just trying to spend a two-minute window somewhere and just do some breathing exercises could actually, over the long term, have a really good impact on how your digestive system responds. 
I know some doctors who you know, do some little meditative thing before they see, before they go into any patient, because otherwise the, you know, the stress just kind of climbs and climbs and climbs throughout the afternoon, but to stop, you know, feel the yeah, one, this one guy said he feels the temperature of the air going in and out of his nose, and then he's ready to go in, you know, to see the next person. Yeah. Where, and, you know, I think, I hope we're immersed in this, so it's hard to know what the norm is, what people think of what we're saying, but it's so important because the physiology affects the outcome. It just does. That's how we're built, right? So I love that. I I had a client who was a periodontist and, you know, dentists and periodontists literally absorb stress all day from their clients, from their patients too. And so (laughs) she became certified in meditation, bringing it to conferences with other dentists and also does what you suggested that some of the doctors you talk to do before seeing patients. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what do you say to people say, I don't have time for that. It's true. I, I, I'm human too. I, I totally relate because it isn't an easy thing. And that's why I'm hoping that people listening to this are not feeling overwhelmed by the various things we're bouncing around talking about. But what I would say is I, I totally relate. Like I 100% relate because my, even in like brief conversation maybe we had before coming on, you can tell I'm just like all in, right? All the time. Yeah. But it is really important to try and take the time to establish some habits based on observation. You don't have to do all of the things that I might suggest or somebody else might suggest are helpful for your situation. What you have to do though, are the things that move the needle for you. So it might, it's not an overnight sensation and it's not a silver bullet. It's literally tracking and doing some observation about what, you know, taking a walk every day after lunch, let's say, or at the end of the day or 10 minutes after every meal. Is that actually changing my body's reaction to things? Because if it is, then you want to continue doing it. So ultimately through the process that I have, I end up with something that's not very creative sounding, but called somebody's daily protocol, basically. So we, through observation, figure out what works for you and pick those two or three things. And they might even be things that you actually do enjoy doing or you don't mind changing, but you just don't know that they have the impact on your digestion the way that they do. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate everything you shared with the audience. I, I know people are going to find some things that you know, grab one or two things that really can make a difference and help them feel better. I hope so. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been really fun. I want everyone to know that you can find bon- Bonnie Wisner on the internet. Uh, we will have her contact information in the show notes, but Bonnie, will you please just tell people for those who are listening, kind of where they can find you and what's what's there. Of course. So the easiest way is just to head to my website, which is www.bonniewisner.com. So that's B-O-N-N-I-E-W-I-S-E-N-E-R.com. Um, when you get there, if you're interested, there is something that you can sign up for. It's an email series. It's complimentary. It's called Five Tips to Improve Your Digestion. It's a great place to start because I do touch on a lot of things that we've talked about today in tangible terms. So sort of like action oriented. So that would be a nice place to start. And then if you are on Instagram, I hang out there quite a lot, sometimes more than I want to. And I'm at Shift Nutrition and Wellness, which is my practice name. Great. Well, thank you so much. I 
I'm just thrilled that we had you here today. So great conversation. Thank you. Hi there, this is Dr. Heather Awad. Even though I'm a family doctor who spent decades coaching patients about healthy food, I know what it's like to struggle with midlife weight gain. About eight years ago, that struggle consumed my thoughts. I know what it's like to wake up and be frustrated that my clothes don't fit and I'm uncomfortable with my body and to lay down at night, beating myself up for my lack of willpower. I tried eating less, grazing, and special diets that didn't help at all. The worst was when I worked so hard with one of those app-based programs for six months, lost weight, and then bounced back to an even higher number. I worried I was going to be stuck at an unhealthy weight for the rest of my life. So I know how painful it can be, and I know what it's like to be on the other side of it. To be back down and have a life where I wake up and know I can eat food I like. I go to bed at night thinking about what I'm excited about for the next day because I'm not worrying about what I ate that was wrong. The best part is I never worry about being that old weight again. And I want this kind of life for everyone. That's why I do the work that I do. Because I know how painful it can be when you watch that number on the scale rise at midlife and beyond. And I have dedicated myself to helping lots of women discover how their bodies work so they can lose weight and eat food that they love. Life is too short to spend it with constant mind chatter about food. I'd be honored to support you or someone you care about. If you go to my website, heatherawadmd.com or vibrant-md.com, you can book a call with me where I will give you real results, the next best steps for you going forward. And if you're thinking that you want the accountability of working with a coach as your guide, please reach out and I would be so pleased to work with you. Thank you.